For Pacifica Radio, February 23rd, 2023. I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm editorial director of Antiwar.com and editor of the new book, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. You can find my full interview archive, more than 5,800 of them now, going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. And you can follow me on Twitter, if you dare, at scotthortonshow. And this is Anti-War Radio on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. I'm Scott Horton. And next up is the great Andrew Coburn. Andrew is the Washington editor of Harper's Magazine, and his most recent book is called The Spoils of War. And man, he's got this great article. I really hope that you guys will read it and pass it around and show it to naysayers and people who don't know or don't understand or got it wrong or need to find out. It's called... How the Media Failed, Julian Assange. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. How are you, sir? Hey, very well, very well. I'm delighted to be with you. Uh, Great to have you back on the show. I'm also so grateful for this piece that you wrote about Julian Assange because I know that pretty much nobody knows what you know about this and the story that you really take us all the way through it. The controversy surrounding this guy, and I think you really illustrate why the rest of the media has forsaken him the way that they have. But so first of all, just go back for people who are brand new, interested in politics starting this week. Who is Julian Assange and why should anybody care at all at this point, sir? Julian Assange is or has been one of the most important, maybe the most important journalists of our age because he's what he's revealed uh, through his organization, WikiLeaks, he's by publishing, you know, a whole enormous tranche of of documents that the, our rulers really, really, really didn't want us to see, is expose how we are ruled. I mean, how the world is run, how we run the wars. He did, he released, first of all, a whole series of I an mean, enormous quantity of documents, internal military documents about the war in Afghanistan while it was ongoing, and then the same for Iraq. And then 250,000 internal State Department communications, which revealed, you know, how these people really view the world and how they operate in it. Without that, we wouldn't know. It's really given us a, you know, a keyhole into, into history as it's been happening. And that's why he's so important. And that's why he is so enraged, well, the powers that be, that for operating as a journalist, he, you know, they pursued him, they framed him, they said he'd committed rape, which he didn't. They said he'd, you know, recklessly revealed the names of people who would thereby be put at risk, be killed by the Taliban or so forth. He didn't. They said he'd, um, you know, he, there's a whole series. They said he'd abused the hospitality of the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where he was forced to flee. He didn't. You know, and all that evidence. The, all the evidence for what I've just said has been out there, has been readily available for years and has been studiously and carefully ignored by the mainstream media. Yeah. And so where is Julian Assange now? 
He is locked up in Belmarsh Prison, which is a maximum security. It's called often called British Guantanamo. It's a maximum security jail in London. And the reason he's there is that he, the U.S. has requested, demanded, I should say, his extradition so he can be brought back in chains to this country and put on trial for espionage, believe it or not. And the British have obligingly locked him up now for three years while this whole extradition case goes forward. And if that succeeds, if he is sent back, then he'll be put on trial in the Eastern District of Virginia, which is called the National Security Court because the you know, the jury pool is all composed of Pentagon contractors and ex-CIA people or current CIA people. More or less, that's where the government brings national security cases because they're pretty much guaranteed a conviction. And if he's convicted, then they'll lock him up in a maximum, in a super maximum security jail for the rest of his life, effectively, 175 years, you know. So, you know, the stakes are very high. And what the press they're sort of fitfully sort of coming to notice this, that if he's convicted, if this case succeeds, which it probably would, then the whole basis for the First Amendment starts to go away. It means the government can, any time you publish something it wants to keep secret, they can try you for espionage and throw you in the pokey for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know... Um, so all the people who hold their nose, been holding their nose about Julian Assange, you know, are going to, you know, could it's they're starting, I think, some of them, in a half half baked kind of way to uh, realize that, you know, the way what happens to him can happen to them. Yeah. All right. It's anti-war radio on KPFK in L.A. I'm Scott Horton talking with the great Andrew Coburn about the heroic Julian Assange. And let's stick with that point right there for a second, because I think this is this cuts right to the heart of the degeneracy of the American corporate media and all their reporters, too, as individuals for this whole time. Because what you're saying there is what the Obama administration, their Department of Justice themselves called the New York Times problem. And as much as they wanted to persecute Julian Assange, They knew they couldn't indict him and prosecute him. And the Obama government used the Espionage Act against leakers more than all other presidents in all history since Woodrow Wilson combined. But they knew that they can't use it against a leak. E and Julian Assange is a publisher. He's not the guy who stole the secrets. He's the guy who received them and published them, which makes him no different in principle than the New York Times laundering classified secrets that the CIA wants out there in order to spin public opinion their way as they do daily. And so every reporter knows that. They can't pretend that they don't know that. And so, in other words, this is just has been up until now a reflection of how much they hate Julian Assange, that they have been willing to even lose their own protections under our sacred First Amendment in order to get him, because essentially they're so jealous of him because what WikiLeaks has done has blown their model completely out of the water. And so they just project all of their declining ad revenues onto him. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly right. I think, and you used the right word, they're jealous. They were jealous that he, you know, he came into their little world or their 
the world, of, you know, back in 2010, and really showed them how to do it. You know, I mean, he was blowing, you know, blowing up stuff, and he, you know, what they always like to do, as you well know, is you know they negotiate with the government. They basically get permission for what they can publish about, you know, government quote unquote secrets. And he was blowing that wide open. He was, you know, getting the goods, you know, at excellent sources uh, who trusted him. And, you know, he was putting it out there. And they, they sort of went along with it for a while, but they were deeply jealous and they they sort of hated them, or particularly the New York Times, the really guilty parties of the New York Times and the Guardian, the UK Guardian, who really behaved in a disgraceful, disgusting kind of way towards him. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, check out my new sponsor. It's Peacehawk Coffee at peacehawk.coffee. First of all, business. You have to drink coffee in the morning, and you want it to taste good. Well, Peacehawk Coffee is the best from around the world. But then, just as important, Peacehawk Coffee donates at least a dollar of every pound sold to worthy foreign aid organizations like Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. When you buy Peacehawk Coffee, you're not only buying great coffee, you have a chance to support the economies of countries struggling against the effects of war and support private aid foundations doing life-saving work abroad. Sign up for their email list and get yourself some great coffee at peacehawk.coffee. Hey, y'all, Scott Horton here for the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director. Then we've got Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anzalone, Keith Knight, Lori Calhoun, Jim Bovard, Connor Freeman, Will Porter, Patrick McFarlane, and Tommy Salmons on our staff, writing and podcasting. And we've also got a ton of other great writers, too, like Walter Block, Richard Booth, Boss Spleet, Kim Robinson, and William Van Wagenen. We've published eight books so far, including my latest, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and Keith Knight's new Voluntarist Handbook. And we've got quite a few more great ones coming soon. Check out libertarianinstitute.org slash books. It's a whole new era. We libertarians don't have the power, but we do have enough influence to try to lead the left and the right to make things right. Join us at libertarianinstitute.org. Oh, yeah, and including just lying about him constantly. Um, but now, so you're yeah. kind of hinting there about this new letter that the media, some major media corporations have finally now come around at the end of last year and said, ah, geez, maybe Coburn's got a point here, huh? Yes, well, um, that's really the work of actually a, a hero in the story who is James Goodale. And I'll just tell you briefly who he is. Goodale, he's 89 years old now. We owe a lot of what we've had up to now in First Amendment protection as journalists to Jim Goodale because he was the lawyer who basically won the Pentagon Papers case for the New York Times. If it wasn't for him, they probably would have caved or gone down. Uh, He steered that. He also got basically the Supreme Court judgment that basically protects journalist sources. He also had a hand in Times v. Sullivan, which means, you know, gives us freedom to criticize public figures. So Jim Goodell is a total hero. And he has been campaigning for years, more or less alone in the, you know, establishment because he, you know, he was a big-time lawyer, uh, to say Assange, you know, we got to fight for Assange. He's been in Assange's corner for years now, and he's the one who's shamed the New York Times, the Guardian, uh, Le Monde, El País, and Der Spiegel, who originally, all originally, 
worked with Assange and then kind of turned on him. And he's shamed them into issuing this letter. It's still a bit slightly mealy-mouthed, I've got to say, but the first time that the collective mainstream media has issued a sort of public statement in defense of Assange. So it's something. Yeah. Hey, it is better than nothing. And, you know, if they really want to back down and maybe spring him and let him go home to Australia, something like that, maybe they could hide behind that letter and say, yeah, you're right. This is essentially the Obama government back in the form of the Biden government. It, and it was Trump that made the decision to go ahead and prosecute him. The oh, CIA. Yeah. Pompeo, yeah, he'd just become head of the CIA and he wanted to show you know, that he was a bigger, badder scoop spook than anyone. So he came out with a sort of demented, hysterical um, diatribe against Assange. And really, actually, as I talk about in the piece, a story that was done by Yahoo News, but again, ignored by everyone else in the media, except for Megyn Kelly, of all people, Fox News, that the CIA under Pompeo actually made plans to either kill or kidnap Assange. I mean, they were going to shoot their way into the Ecuadorian embassy and drag him away and better on a plane and, you know, do a rendition on him and pack him off maybe to some, you know, black site and torture him. Who knows? But, I mean, if things were that crazy, they're that hysterical. Um, the thing that seems to have kicked that one off was the WikiLeaks revelation of what was called Vault 7. It was the CIA's hacking techniques by which they can take over your car and drive it off the road or buy on you through your TV, Samsung TV set. Just remember, if you've got a Samsung, the CIA is watching. Anyway, they had a whole bunch of other techniques, and that drove them crazy because it revealed, you know, that they were taking advantages or advantage of faults in, you know, various in Internet connections, not telling the manufacturers like Cisco Systems or whoever, or Microsoft, that, the, you know, there was a, a yeah. potential leak in the security and just using it themselves. Well, you know, there was this huge story, too, Andrew, that it's uh, anti-war radio. Scott Horton talking with Andrew Coburn. There was this story about how Assange was negotiating with the CIA that they would figure out how to get the Justice Department to drop the charges if he would promise not to post that Vault 7 stuff. He was using it as leverage. But then I think if I remember it right, his own lawyer spilled the beans to the staff of Senator John Warner, the horrible Russiagate freak and pro-censorship maniac. And that guy then leaked it to Jim Comey at the FBI, and he Mark, intervened and prevented Mark the Warner. deal from happening. That's right, Mark Warner. It's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's what happened. I mean, I, I didn't have the space to really go into that, but um, yeah. I believe I mean, that's, that's a big happened. one. And so, by the way, and this gets into a major part of your article here. It's at Harper's Magazine, everybody. Andrew Coburn on Julian Assange. And you talk about all these false accusations. There's this giant pile of them. It's like the guy Saddam Hussein or something or, you know, Trump during Russiagate. And this was part of Russiagate when, in fact... The Mueller report says, you know, I got no chain of custody to WikiLeaks whatsoever. So that's it. And even CrowdStrike, the firm that was hired to supposedly prove that the Russians did it, admitted under oath, as you write in your article, that, yeah, they can't prove it at all. So, ha. Yeah, and it turned out, you know, all the confident um, assertion, you know, they traced the DNC leak back to the Russian military intelligence and actually, you know, thanks to the reality winner leak, we have uh, the document that shows 
it's just someone's hunch at the NSA. You right. know, it was, uh, you know, no basis for it whatsoever. Oh, that's such an important point, right? Because, you know, when Russiagate first came out, I interviewed this computer, this very famous and prominent computer security expert named Jeffrey Carr. And he said, let me tell you, a forensic expert looking at a server can not tell you who hacked into it because it's just too easy to leave false footprints. There should be one group of people in the world who can have 100 percent confidence in exactly who hacked it. And that would be the NSA. And here, as you say, in the reality winner document, they're like, eh, if you guys say so to the FBI yeah. and CIA's claims, they weren't trying to be impolite, but they weren't the ones making the claim here at all. Exactly. Exactly. What a hoax. Um, all right, I'm sorry for ranting so much. We're over time and we got to go, but everyone, please go and check out this very important article about the political prisoner, the great journalist and hero from WikiLeaks, Julian Assange. The story is called How the Media Failed Julian Assange by Andrew Coburn. That's harpers.org. Thank you so much, sir. Hey, thank you, Scott. All right, you guys, and that's it for Anti-War Radio for today. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I edited the book Hotter Than the Sun, and you can find my full interview archive at scotthorton.org. I'm here every Thursday from 2.30 to 3 on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. See you next week.